Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello, squirrel friends, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. It's Fab here, founder and head teacher at Alt Marketing School. And as always, I am joined by my right-handed jack potato, Steph. Hello, Steph. I was trying to think about what to call you, and I don't know if jack potato feels right, but we're going to go with it. Oh, it's cushy at the minute. It's nice and warm. So hello, everyone. Welcome back. Well, we survived the open day, uh, which is pretty exciting in itself because I genuinely feel that whenever I do an event of this scale, whenever I'm kind of getting myself into something for two days, I always underestimate how much work I have to put in. So first of all, well done us for surviving open day and smashing it. So I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. I don't know if you're patting. Oh, that was wild. (laughs) Yay. And the funny thing is that now obviously we're deep into our curriculum review at the same time which we mentioned a few times, but as you probably have heard at Open Day, if you were there, and if you were there, thank you so much for joining us. We work every single year to fully review the curriculum of the certification and update it with what's coming up and what's happening and also kind of share that journey as well. And I am very excited because I genuinely believe that our winter spring cohort is going to bring so many new exciting things to talk about. Yes, we're going to cover the foundations. Yes, we're going to cover systems, social media, SEO, content systems, marketing reviews. But also we're going to look at important elements such as AI, which we talked about on the podcast. But we're also going to talk about diversity and inclusion and also making systems work for you with your unique blueprint and your unique being. So we really wanted to think about some of the things that maybe were missing last year and the things that changed in order to evolve that. So I just wanted to say that because I find that the person that we're going to have in today, which is the amazing Jay Klaus, which I was so excited to have him on, really was a big teacher of that, of that journey of working with what works and what doesn't and really looking at what your audience wants, in this case, our students want, and documenting that journey, even if sometimes it can feel scary to put yourself out there. You know, I think as entrepreneurs, that resilience is something that we always have to build, isn't it? Yeah, all the time. And it can, as you say, it's very scary to sort of put everything out there for everyone to see sort of behind the scene how it's all going but it just brings that authenticity and also accountability to yourself I think you know what Jay actually said that you will hear the story about it but he said that he knew that he wanted to be an entrepreneur earlier on in his college career he talked about his first job and then how he thought about entrepreneurship now I wanted to ask you Steph because I know you've been working with agencies and then you shift and then you're shifting again and all these things so as a creative when did you fall into this idea? Obviously, I want to do this for myself, regardless of what it was. Did you always have it at the back of your head? Was it more like just circumstances? How did that happen? I think for me, it was a long-winded way. Out of university, doing illustration first, it was more a question of that usually is just freelance anyway. So you have to think about yourself as a business and Luckily, I had a few, you know, supportive avenue at university was sort of, uh, they had like a business um, thing that you could go to and it teaches you how to do your taxes and all like the boring stuff. But I felt, well, I don't know how to run a business, so I might as well do that. Um, and then further along the line, like working with people, I thought, actually, I want to experience more of a studio environment. So I actually work for a company in a setting that is done and I'm kind of more an employee at that stage. Um, and then going back to actually, I still have that, I think it's just innate start that I want to create my own thing. And sometimes I don't know where that fits in. So I don't know someone else that has that kind of thing that I could potentially work for. So my kind of go-to as well, I just need to make it myself <laughs> in, in that sense. And also have my own 
stamp on it and my own identity to it I feel is important to me in a way but I'm also very keen to work with others so whether or not that's completely freelance or by myself or with my own thing or actually teaming up with someone else who's working for someone else but you still have I think even working with someone else I still want my own voice to be heard within that and I just want to help so it all kind of just came to it's more of a means a way that I thought I would fit in with how I like to work versus kind of just not having an idea of where that stands but yeah so I feel that's that's where it stemmed from a long time ago and then I went back and forth <laughs> how about so, yourself oh oh I was gonna say it's almost like you were a creator in your mindset before creators were even a thing I love that how about myself? I always will remember when I quit my full-time job. Not many people know I was working at the time for a UX agency, which UX wasn't big, by the way. So I kind of got to learn what it was as a, the marketing manager for this small um, kind of, I guess, boutique uh, UX agency. And I remember when I quit it and I did my own thing for the first time, because there was different iterations of my business journey nine years ago. And my mom said, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I could not see you working for anybody else anyway. And I was kind of like, ouch. And I was like, oh, maybe it was meant to be nice. I am not sure, but I'll take it either way. And I think because she always knew that I would always have an idea on top of an idea, on top of an idea. And I would try something. And I was always the creative kid at school. And they were like, oh, she's so creative. All these ideas. So I'm not surprised. Like I created my own Backstreet Boys merchandise when I was 10 which was delightful, even if I never sold it because obviously Backstreet Boys, so I had to have it. But, you know, I created a whole collection. So even just small things like that, I knew that in my head, I was like, oh, I can make this thing. But I remember that my mom would be like, yeah, and then you would come up and be, oh, I can start selling baked goods with my little Easy Bake Oven. You know, I always had this thing. And so I think when she saw me taking the leap, she was like, no, it makes sense. Um, because my brain does work really fast that way. And I have so many ideas and what I've learned in the past three to four years is actually taking more time to implement them. Something that probably I fully stepped into this year or last year uh, at the end of it and be like, actually, I want to consolidate more instead of trying everything because uh, I really believe in what I'm doing. But it's always been there. Be like yourself. It's always been there. And even if I do work as a CMO for a marketing agency, I do that because what my business partner, what Britta believes, the beliefs are very similar and the lifestyle and how we want to help people is in line with how all marketing school is. And as you say, that's the choice. It's an easy choice to then support somebody else also with their business and the clients that we have because it, it fits with who I want to be at all marketing school. So, and it's kind of nice because you bridge that gap, as you say, between being a creator and being a business owner, which is for me the best. So hopefully today we can give you a bit more of that because today we're going to hear from the person, Jay Klaus, the person who's here to help creators earn a living. So shall I tell a bit more about Jay Steph before we jump on? Oh, yes, please. So Jay is the writer of Creative Science and the host of Creative Elements, a narrative interview podcast going behind the scenes of today's top creators. He previously led the community experience team for Platform and Smart Passive Income, designing their paid membership community and cohort-based course programs. And right now, he's here to talk about being a creator and entrepreneur with us, based a bit on what we talked about in our stories and beyond. So I really, really hope you're going to love this episode as much as I love recording it. You hear me fangirling a bit, but that's okay. Let us know what you thought. And as always, we would love if you could share a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and let us know what you took away from today's lesson. We'll be back again as always next week. But in the meantime, let today's class begin. <music> It's one of those things, like whenever I, I kind of, I see my background from where it used to be, I know it's small things, Jay, but I'm really proud of myself. I don't know if you remember your first yeah. ever backgrounds, but mine was literally like white on white. And then I tried to put a massive kind of like poster on top mm. of it and it just didn't work. Do you remember your first kind of like setup? Yeah. I mean, it was in my very small studio apartment, which had like no depth. Like the, the thing was 
like a shoebox, and it was like maybe six feet deep. So I was up against the wall, up against a window, and behind me was a closet. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> it's always a lesson. Like you were gonna make it work. I find that you're gonna make it work, and then every little thing that you add, if anything, it reminds me of how far I've come. It's like, oh, as you said, I didn't have depth either, and. I learned to appreciate depth actually in a, yeah. in the space. It's like it's so so nice. So, you know what? How far we've come. So, thank you for have come that far to the school. Yeah, lovely to have you. I am super excited. Uh, you actually are one of my favorite creators. And I, no, I don't say that to everyone. I promise. Uh, you don't say that to all the boys <laughs> and girls. Come on, we gotta make everybody feel special. It's just a phrase. <laughs> but. Um, no, honestly, though, I'm really excited to have you because I, I really want to hear some of the answers to the questions and what you can teach our dear listeners. So thank you so much for being here with us. And also, thank I'm you for sharing your journey online. Uh, I think yeah. that's something that sometimes we forget about. These little things kind of bring us on a journey ourselves and remind us of, again, how far we've come. However, before I even go there, I actually want to ask you maybe a bit of a random question, Jay, but a bit of a personal one. So if you could choose any trivia category you'd be really good at which one would it be at why i think music music is usually where i do the best i'm really bad at geography and i'm almost equally bad at history but generally music current events actually sometimes there will be like a brands category and it'll be like they'll describe like a logo vaguely or the history of a logo and i'll have to choose based off that so anything Business, current events, or music is typically where I do the best. <laughs> if you could choose one of the three that you would think like you can choose one, you can just run with it. Which one would it be? Because they're actually similar to mine. And I kind of like that trip as well. I feel like music. Although if, if they do top 40, that might get me in trouble. <laughs> is it because we're looking at old music or revivals? Or is it more because of like, kind of like the niche spotify playlist we go called a rabbit hole it's less niche but it is like i don't even know how to describe it like i i probably i probably understand understand historical rock music and anything indie and alternative um maybe some historic hip-hop but Ooh. less less like newer dua lipa ariana grande <laughs> type stuff I love to ask this question and I do tend to grind people when I talk about music because of my past life as a music journalist. So as always, you're literally wearing a Metallica shirt, which I love. <laughs> well, you know, practice what we preach. I find that it's one of those things I genuinely love to understand people through different things. It's like, you know, you understand different brands from some of the decisions they make when it comes to branding. For me, music can tell a lot about a person. So I always get really, really curious. So thank mm. you for indulging me on that. <laughs> Now, we're going to go back in time, though. We're going to actually shift gears slightly. And I want to hear a bit about some of the origin story. Actually, a different origin story, though, today. Jay, can you think of the first ever job you had? And what did first you learn ever from job it? I had. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from it? Well, depends on how I want to define that. Because the first ever, ever job I had was probably doing like chores for my dad and helping him plant trees in our fields. And he paid me a dime per tree. And that was how I earned enough money to buy a TV in my room and a GameCube as a kid. <laughs> so that's like the first, first ever job. We can go down, that, go down that path if you want. But the first like regular person job I had was actually I worked for a temporary agency and I got hired as a factory worker in a factory that manufactured tents, like the tents that you have at graduation parties. Oh. <laughs> and I worked second shift from 2.30 p.m. until like 2 a.m. four days a week. It was wild, mostly terrible. <laughs> was it during college or during school or was it like straight after where, where are we sitting? Sounds like a long day. <laughs> That was after my senior year of high school before I went off to college, because during high school, the deal my parents had with me was basically like, focus on your studies, focus mm -hmm. on sports. We'll make sure that you are comfortable. And they were they were saving a college fund for me as well. So I didn't have to get a job until after sports were over, essentially, uh, until I was about to head into the real world of college. And so I actually had a really hard time getting a job when I was, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of high school. I remember I applied at menards which is like it's like walmart for home stuff you know it's 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 like it's like a lower 
class lows and all my friends worked there. I thought I'd be a shoe in like I was leading my class. I had incredible grades, but I had no work history. So nobody wanted to hire me because they're like, we, you're a completely unknown commodity uh, in this arena. So I had a hard time getting a job. What did you learn from that? Do you remember? Because I find it's always interesting to actually look at that first experience of like looking for jobs and looking for opportunities and what you can learn from trying a lot and maybe not rejection, but it depends how you see it. You know what I mean? It was humbling. It it sucked to feel like I didn't have the agency to choose my own employment. Like I, I, I couldn't choose the thing that I wanted to do to make money, which I thought at the time was working at Menards with my friends. I had to go and find some other solution to make money uh, where somebody else would give me a shot because at the time I thought the only way to make money was for somebody to employ you. And so I thought that I had to compromise on where I wanted to work to just find somebody that would pay me something. And that sucked. And I still think that feeling sucks. And I'm glad that I don't have to deal with it anymore. But it's uh, it's uh, one of the downsides of seeking employment is your fate is often in the hands of other people. And then you have a completely different sort of mindset when the fate of what you do and your choices actually kind of comes down to you. And I think that brings a whole new set of humbling experiences as well and also kind of like a little bit of breakthroughs uh, as you grow which I'm pretty sure you experience as you kind of transitions as well to kind of become a creator full-time and kind of like move away from some of the projects that you had as well yeah for sure I mean I uh in college discovered entrepreneurship as a potential pathway because I had two guys in my dorm room dorm uh floor who shared a common wall with me and they had both started businesses in high school oh. and they were the only two that would like put up with me barging into their room and like <laughs> throwing around app ideas because app ideas were a big thing at the time. And so they introduced me to the idea of entrepreneurship and it just blew my mind. I was like, you mean I don't have to choose some arbitrary, arbitrary career path and do that for 35 years because my parents <laughs> were teachers. Mm. And so I thought that like working was picking a job, working for 35 years in that same job and then retiring. And that just never quite felt exciting to me i was like that doesn't sound like what i want and when someone was like oh you can just make your own thing and probably earn more by doing it that was a huge like world opening experience i love this because it brings me to like my final icebreaker question believe it or not these were icebreaker questions which is a bit of a segue but also think works really well with what you're talking about because of the way that you know you're inspiring people online again as somebody who follows you as well we believe in obviously you know, encouraging people make positive impact on others. That's everything we do. So we always love to ask this question. What does making a positive impact on your audience or your community members even mean to you, Jay, and why? I've come more and more to believe that like all we have is our reputation and it's really easy online to see who somebody is, <laughs> you know, even if you're not saying like, hey, this is me. In the way that you conduct yourself, that people you interact with, the way that you interact, it's very easy to know who somebody is through their actions. And to me, having a positive impact on your audience, on the world is a really good way to like live your life, first of all, and and uh, leave a positive mark during your time here on this planet. I don't think that there's really any other reason to do what we do as creators where we're trying to impact a lot of people at once like why would you want to try and impact a lot of people at once and do it in a negative way i like to see that the people my work reaches take it run with it and then have uh the same or even greater success with it than i do i love that now i have a contentious question i my brain went into a contentious question how do you feel when for example because we talked about reputation so i was thinking how do you feel when for example maybe you connect with a creator or you start a conversation with somebody and the way that they showcase themselves online on a more public scale if you if you may is very different from how then they start interacting with you i ask this because i find that sometimes we feel like that we have to perform or we have to be somebody else but then to me is even worse when then i talk to somebody maybe because i'm very honest to who i am i'm loud i'm weird i'm italian yes i'll take it and that's how I always show up. And so people are like, oh, you really are what you look like. I was like, yes, I am. And so to me, that's kind of maybe what I expect from others, which maybe is not fair. But how do you find what, if there is a big disconnect between that more private element and the more public thing? It's a bummer. And it's, and it's something that I don't, I typically don't pursue 
deeper relationships with those people, to be honest. I mean, to some degree, we're all wearing some sort of mask all the time in all the ways that we show up. But if you individually are so radically different than the person you portray yourself to be, that's a bummer to me. And I experience it on the podcast sometimes, you know, um, a lot of these people are people I've been following for a long time. Sometimes people show up and it's kind of a disappointing uh, experience, not just in the way that they uh, conduct themselves, but sometimes in the way that they show up to that space and the energy they bring to it. Uh, on others, on the other hand, sometimes it's like wildly refreshing and even better than I expected. Uh, Rishikesh Hirway, he's the host of Song Exploder, one of my favorite podcasts. You probably know that because you're a music person, right? So Rishikesh came on the show and he was like the best guest I've ever had. It was incredible. Uh, he, he came with like so much warmth, usually as a podcast host, you are trying to create some like assumed rapport with somebody that you've never met before so that the listening experience of the listener is warm and nice. And he like, he did that for me, which is amazing. That was, that was the opposite of that effect. But if somebody comes up and they're, they're really not aligned with how they position themselves to be online, typically I'm just like, okay, well, that's enough of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being honest. And actually, I'm just going to bring back to one point you made, which is less to the point of reputation, less to the point of what we talked about, but so important for any listener who either runs a podcast or wants to run a podcast. And also just a bit of kudos for us, just kind of, yeah, just give us kudos as podcasters. It actually takes a lot of effort to really work within that relationship with somebody that is not even that with you, because obviously if you do it remotely. So I love that you mentioned that, that responsibility has a host. Again, brag again as a music yep. journalist I had to do that a lot with musicians who got the same questions answered all the time they looked at me they were like you're gonna ask me the same questions about the same thing because I've been doing this for 10 hours straight and you had to be creative you had to get their attention they were like oh and when I did that the little moment I was like oh yeah literally for five minutes I was like I've done it so I love that you mentioned it because I think it's a very underrated skill of podcasters so thank you for mentioning totally. that it's really hard it's it's why it's one of the main reasons why being an interviewer is so tough because not only do you have to be able to listen in the moment and guide a conversation, but to to make the listening experience good, a lot of the reason people like listening to interviews is because they feel like they are a third-party member of a conversation. And the reason why a lot of co-hosted shows are popular right now is because co-hosts are often friends. So when you hear friends interacting as friends, you feel like a friend in the room. So ideally, as a host, you create that feeling even with your guests. But that can be really challenging when you've never met a person before and they do all kinds of these things and you're just an hour on their schedule today that they actually regret signing up for. It's, it's tough. I have a side question now. I'm going to get to the main section, but I have a side question. If you could have a dream co-host, who would it be? Dream co-host. Boy, oh boy. My first thought was Bo Burnham, but I think that would probably radically change the show. But I'd probably be willing to do a different show if I could have Bo Burnham as my co-host. <laughs> I'll take that. I love that. That is another show that I would definitely listen to and potentially watch as well, because I think there would be a great combination of all sort of media with that. So I love that. Dear listener, sure. if you don't know her, Bo, go and check him out. Now into the main section. Thank Hello team, it's Fab here, founder and head teacher at All Marketing School and your marketing BFF. Before today's episode, I want to remind you that there is a special invitation for you to join us for the ALT marketing certification. Get certified as a positive impact strategy and make people fall in love with you and your work. Reclaim your time, understand the marketing foundations with a positive impact spin. If you are a marketing freelancer who wants to raise the quality of services and do more with less, or maybe you are an early stage marketeer ready to invest to gain real experience in building a strategy with purpose, or you're a marketing leader who wants to be recognized as a go-to expert and tackle new growth challenges. Whether you are beginners or whether you have some confidence into your strategy, we want to support you. We want to help you achieve your strategic goals, toss confettis in the air, and blast your favorite hype song as you get through eight incredible weeks with me and the rest of our faculty. Think about our certification as marketing training at university standards, not prices. 
So if you're ready to join us and you want to check out our incredible curriculum, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash certification. I repeat, amschool.click slash certification to find out more and learn what you are going to go through in our eight weeks from marketing foundations all the way to leadership and storytelling skills. We're also going to cover strategic marketing blocks and advanced marketing tools. Plus, you get workshops, seats, group work, and even timely panels with incredible experts in the field. So what are you waiting for? No, I mean it. Our next cohort is starting real soon. So make sure that you head to amschool.click slash certification to come and join us and learn how to market to hearts, not to brains. Thank you so much for indulging me in a couple of segues. Um, so obviously we're at school, so we like to talk about learning as well. And I know that as a teacher yourself, in, in your own way, obviously, with the courses and the content, the community. So I'm going to put us in a bit of a challenge. If you could teach our students and our listeners one thing. In one minute or so, what would you teach them, Jay? Mm. Okay, let me let me just say this. This is actually very simple. I think that there's almost nothing more important than being good with names. Most people will say, I'm bad at names. And they're giving themselves an out for being good at names. No one is naturally good at names. People just decide that it's important. And so they work on becoming good at names. And I think one of the easiest ways to do it is when somebody greets you and you say, hi, what's your name? And they say, hi, I'm Fab. Reach out your hand, shake their hand and say, it's great to meet you, Fab. Responding and saying their name again, repeating it helps to build the association. The other thing I'll often do if it's not an obvious name is I'll say, oh, Fab, that's really interesting. How do you spell that? I'll say F-A-B and I'll say, oh, F-A-B, Fab, I like that. Now, again, I've repeated it even more. Sometimes if somebody has a name that is often spelled in multiple ways, they say, hi, I'm Sarah. Say, oh, Sarah, is that with an H or without an H? And they'll say, with an H, to which I always respond, that's my preference. Good. (laughs) Because that person always wants to know like, yeah, this this is the way to spell it. But again, you're repeating it. So there is no sound more sweet to somebody's ear than their own name. That is from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think it's really, really important. And it really comes down to saying, I'm going to be someone who's good at names. And then when you learn a name, repeat it. And the earlier that you realize you forgot it and you can ask them, the better. Because you get to a point where it's awkward. Where it's like, oh, I've been talking for an hour and I forget your name. It's okay if you're early on in a conversation, you say, I'm so sorry. Could you re- repeat your name? It's okay. People want you to know their names because then any other time you interact with them, you can greet them with a big smile and wide eyes and say, Fab, it's so good to see you. So meaningful to that person to be remembered. Also very important because I agree can avoid a lot of that awkwardness, especially as somebody who has a hard name. I kind of had to cut mine or somebody didn't fool me. They were like, oh, like Fab. And I was like, yeah, because my full name is just for anybody who doesn't know. And for you, Jay, is Fabiana. So in England, it gets butchered a lot. So we just mm. called the fab, like the ice cream. I was like, that's perfect. So I really kind of can share that understanding with some people that might have more complex names or names harder to remember. So I agree with you. It's the little things. And what I'm reading from this, aside from a great tip that is very practical, is also the bigger picture of we just like the little things. The little things that people remember is um, I did another podcast interview I recorded yesterday, and we talked about actually the fact that, well, why do people want to know about your cat or what you have for breakfast? Yes, in a way, sometimes that can be trivial, but then if it's something that matters to them, for example, a trip they went or a little surprise they got, and you read it and you remember it, and then you actually check in on them, obviously somebody maybe that you know you talked to before, it kind of shows that you're paying attention that you care. And I think these little things can really make a difference in the online world where relationships are so fast and sometimes they come and go, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So important. Now we, we learned something. Let's unlearn something else. This is about you. And Jay, I would love to hear from you what it's something that you unlearned recently and how did this unlearning improve your life or your work? Really what I'm unlearning all the time is that um, opportunities are good. Let me, let me under- explain that a little bit more. 
the more successful you become, the more visibility you have, the more people know of your work and admire it, the more great opportunities enter your world. Opportunities that you spent the first X number of years of your career trying to manufacture. Any one of those would have been like an exciting thing. And now they might actually just be a distraction and something that detracts from the thing that you're so good at and the thing that you should be spending your time on. So I've had to unlearn saying yes to everything because it used to be like, yes, any opportunity, yes. And now I have to say no to just about everything. And that doesn't mean saying no three out of four times. It means saying no like 99 out of 100 times. You know, it's a huge difference because every yes is a huge commitment and it's a huge opportunity cost to other things that you've said yes to. And it's like the hardest lesson for me to learn. I totally agree. And you actually mentioned that that feeling that a lot of us have that is kind of that visibility, obviously being in so many places, people start seeing your name and is almost kind of at what point does the magic fairy come and say, that's enough. You can now start reassessing your priorities. I think sometimes getting back to actually realizing our own values and what are our priorities is a good way to actually put a cutoff point. Because Jay, I'm with you. Uh, I've been in business for nine years and it never felt like enough, especially as I started a new one last year. It never felt like like it was enough time for me to then kind of reprioritize myself. And also, I think, reprioritize the attention that we give to the people, the opportunities, the clients, the audience that we already have. You know, is that seeking the new wife, things? The dog. <laughs> yeah, the husband. I don't have a dog, but we're looking at rabbits potentially. Anyway. <laughs> or, or, yeah, I mean, it's a rabbit hole, but now, pun intended, but I literally said it, so... You know what? It might happen. 2023 might be the year of the rabbits. So good. <laughs> so but, good. But I, I totally agree with you. I think it's something really hard to unlearn, especially as you put yourself out there all the time. Again, opportunities will come and it feels a gift. It feels something great. And it's amazing to be grateful about it. Is I say no to them, but also being grateful about it at the same time, I think is a really powerful thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. One more learning bit. This time, though, we're going to look at teachers or mentors. Anybody can be a teacher. Anybody can be a mentor of ours. So I would love to hear one of the biggest lessons that a teacher or a mentor has taught you that's stuck with you. Hmm. This wasn't a direct, direct, direct lesson, but it came from uh, a guy named Chris McAllister. I worked with him as a coach. One, he's the one that helped me identify that I had a limiting belief that um, I was not creative. And as part of his program, I think it was like the second week of working with him or something. He was like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a notebook. You're going to take a pen. You're going to go for a walk. You will not have headphones in. You will not have your phone. You just need to listen to your own inner voice and your own chatter and, and write down whatever tapes are playing in your mind. So you like understand that they're there. And that's when I realized that I had this belief that I was not a creative person. I didn't have my own ideas. I was really good at executing other people's ideas so I always needed to be in a partnership and I always needed somebody else to be like the visionary. And identifying that belief helped me to really like turn it over in my mind and look at it and say, is that true? And if it's not true, how can I create some evidence to prove that it's not true? And that really sent me down the path of being a creator in the first place. But what I, what I learned beyond that lesson is to listen to your own voice more. Sounds kind of obvious, but we spend so much time consuming the content and ideas of other people, we crowd out our own intuition and, and thoughts a lot of times. So I will try to, especially when I'm feeling stuck or like frustrated and I can't really quite understand why I'm like, why do I just feel shitty today? I will open up like a blank note document and I'll just write to myself, like what's, what's going on in there? What am I thinking that I'm not like articulating and feeling like I'm thinking? And that really helps me think through problems a lot of times. It also reminds me a lot what you just shared of some of the content that I see from the newsletter, for example. So obviously going, Jay will give us more notes and details about all the links, but obviously in your newsletter, a lot of it is also sharing obviously some of the content that comes out in the podcast, but also some of the little things you might be changing in the strategy, some of the things, some of the wins. And I think sometimes we forget that even that, especially as a creator, especially as you're going through your own journey, it's something that can actually, first of all, help you kind of get unstuck and also kind of find the lessons within that. And I know the building yeah. in public has become a bit more popular, but 
I still find that for some of us, there might be some blocks around that. And since you do this so often, I wanted to ask you, is there any block around that? Have you ever had any limiting beliefs or something that stopped you when you were kind of sharing some of this progress in your journey as a creator? Yeah, I think one block that I ran into that a lot of people run into early on is like, if I share my own struggles and my own insecurities, does that tell the people who I may ultimately want to trust me enough to buy from me that I am not somebody who is certain or confident enough to trust in a buying decision? That's like a really academic uh <laughs> specific way of putting it. But like, I think a lot of people have this fear of if I, if I share the bad side, the scary side, the vulnerabilities that will lower the status of me in the eyes of the people that I've worked so hard to get in front of. And so I'm going to bottle that all up. And that becomes like really high pressure internally. When you're feeling these things, you don't have an outlet to share them. And the opposite seems to be true most of the time anyway, which is like, if you share that you are a three dimensional human with your own set of challenges and, and, insecurities that often breeds trust or at least affinity with people where they're like, Oh yeah, this I'm, this is even more relatable now because I feel that way too. And you've gotten beyond that obviously, or you've been able to persevere to the level that you are despite that that's aspirational for me. That's a good thing, but that's, that's a block that I've mostly gotten over, but still comes up in small ways all the time. And I think probably a lot of people listening to this have the same one. I agree. I totally agree. And that's, part of what I was thinking and or just on top of that and within that there's also the fear that when you do share those kind of setbacks then maybe people will openly judge you so there's obviously the kind of the mental judge but also that and one thing I want to say that again Kevano who was on the podcast says a lot because he talks a lot about uh, building in public is that within that though then because you're still sharing your journey with people that will follow it and will trust you do start building that community and I find that when somebody is we call it unconstructive feedback. That's what I'm talking about. Not people maybe like, you know, bringing some good feedback on. It's fine. Even if it hurts you, is your ego. We get it. But when it's unconstructive, when it's not asked for, your community will, I find it will always back you up and be there to support you if you have that as well. Because I think that's another fear. It's like, if I put myself out there, people are going to maybe say mean things or be, you know, be, again, <laughs> unhelpful. And I find that you're building a community as well of people that support you. So you have the safe space to go back to if you feel that way, because I've had it. And I think a lot of people have had it. I don't know if you have had it, but I think it's very common. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's a numbers game. So, you know, if 1% of people are going to be just a super critical, awful troll, when you have an audience of 100 people, then like, maybe you'll see one person, you have an audience of 1000 people. Now you're seeing 10 of these people pop up. 10,000. Now you got a hundred, you know, so it's, it's a numbers game as, as you grow, like there will just be more people who themselves are most likely hurt, like hurt people, hurt people. And so I try to have empathy for the most part. I just ignore it because a, a flame without oxygen goes out. But, uh, I also try to tell myself like, man, I feel bad for whatever this person is going through. It's not necessarily my problem to solve for them or my responsibility, but I'm not going to add to the pile by fueling the f flame or being another negative interaction for them. I'm just going to be neutral most of the time. Thank you for sharing that. That is actually something that I will be honest. I read twice before. And the second time I read it is like, you know, sometimes repetition kind of sinks in. And I just thought about it. And then I was having a conversation with, with one of our students literally the day after, and they had the same problem. And I said them exactly that. What if you treated them with empathy? And at first they looked at me and be like, Fab, this person just, just went to town on me. And I was like, think about how, what is going on for them. They're like the best thing, the thing they can do today is just kind of take it on on you. And I'm like, oh, so I love that. And again, if anybody needs to hear that again, pause, go back, listen to this because it's a shift in mindset that is very powerful. Here's something else that I've noticed with some of the strongly negative interaction that I've received in the past. Sometimes somebody who responds really passionately in a negative way is actually somebody who can very easily be converted into an equally passionate advocate and supporter based on empathy, understanding, uh, dialogue. Um, typically, that's somebody that's already been following your work and something you said just hit a wrong nerve. And they're like, no, no more. 
And then you say, well, actually, let me hear you out and let me apologize or respond with, with some more context or nuance as to what I was thinking. And that interaction can be so positive that now they are just like an effusive fan of your work because we think that really strong negativity means like there's, this is just really bad, but it's actually showing passion, just like passion in the wrong direction. And you can still be able to like redirect that sometimes in a really positive way. But you know, your mileage may vary hard to identify when those circumstances are uh, most of the time. <laughs> if it's someone I don't recognize and they're just being a troll, then they're not going to get any feedback from me. <laughs> no. And, and again, I think is, is another very important point that you made and um, people want to be heard. It's something that I always said when it comes to kind of customer service and kind of like the, those interactions, I always say we need to, make a bit more time for that. And it's harder when you're a creator, when you're doing anything on your own, even just dealing with all those questions, but people want to be heard. And sometimes that's all they want. And then, as you say, they completely change. Once they are heard, then the conversation changes, the attitude changes. So it's a really great point. Again, it allows us to actually take each and every situation and conversation as an individual one and act accordingly. Just take a lot of self-awareness, I will say. So that's another thing. Again, for everybody who's like, I'm not there yet, we get it. (laughs) There's a lot of self-awareness and a journey. Jay, is this or that time? <clears throat> this is a, another quick fire. Yes, we're going back to quick fires. This or that. So I'm going to tell you two things, Jay. I would like you to choose which one you would keep. We're ready? Mm-hmm. We're starting with Spotify playlist or podcasts. Podcasts. Nice. Voice notes or texts. Texts. <laughs> Not even I get. I get like. I get like two to three minute voice memos from a friend of mine. And I'm just like, it's my least favorite thing. It's it's hard because like your phone screen will close and now you can't get back into the middle of it. And it's hard to like read quickly. Like you can only consume it at the speed of real time, which is so slow. I could get the same context in a much shorter period of time if it's written. It's Text one, messages, please. It's one of the reasons why I love the Slack as a transcript element. So uh, if somebody wants to do an audio, I'm like, hey, you do the audio, I'm going to read the transcript because it's take me half the time. So I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Like little hacks. Carousels or reels? We're talking Instagram specifically? Uh, I would say so. Let's go with Instagram maybe. Um, I mean, I never flip through carousels on Instagram. So reels. <laughs> going back to video again. TikTok or YouTube? YouTube. Almost that. Memes or audio trends? Um, I don't care about audio trends at all because like actually the answer to reels or whatever, I very rarely watch reels or TikTok or any form of short form. So audio trends mean nothing to me. Memes all the way. <laughs> all the way. Always. Finally, finally, last but not least, newsletters or Twitter. Ooh, that's the toughest, toughest one. <laughs> Just for last. I, oh, this is so tough because the consumer in me is at odds with the creator in me. <laughs> As you can a consumer, I can't say for both. You can answer for both if you want so that we can split it. Oh, I can. So the consumer of me would want Twitter. The creator of me would want newsletters. I can see that. I can, I can, def- and I can actually empathize with that. So yeah, I see that. Awesome. Well, you know, hardest for last. Well done. Um, now, again, I have a few more questions, but we're not in quick fire yet or anymore. Sorry. Um, this is my favorite, actually, because I'm a nerd for tools and how people work and workflows. So I always love to ask my guests, what is your favorite underrated tool for your day to day work? Probably Savvy Cal. It's my scheduling tool. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with like Calendly. It's, mm-hmm. it's a competitor to Calendly. I've gotten really good at setting my availability in Savvy Cal. So anytime someone wants to do anything with me, I either request their scheduling link or I send them mine. And that ensures that things are only scheduled during time blocks that I'm specifically allocating towards things like that. That leaves my Mondays and Fridays totally open. It leaves every morning before noon open because the only way you can schedule with me is through my scheduling link and that will not allow you to book those times. That's amazing. It also integrates really well with Zapier. So I have some workflows where like a podcast guest schedules an interview in Savvy Cal using one of the blocks that I'm happy for them to interview with. And that automatically creates then a research document in Notion in my podcast database 
that, you know, is, is ready to go. So Savvy Cal is my favorite. It's a good shout actually with the, with the extra automations or the workflows. Cause I find that's always kind of the next step that sometimes people miss because obviously, especially when it's, let's say it's a call that has a clear intention is not more like a meeting or like a brainstorm. You kind of want to make sure that all the next steps are done as efficiently as possible. So, yeah. And I like that you mentioned time blocks as well, because that's one of the biggest misconceptions and struggles that we've had with our students, to be honest, which is I talk about time blocking a lot. And they're like, how do you do it? How can you possibly do it? And I'm like, well, the first step is exactly what you said, Jay, is if you if you block the time for interactions with others and meetings, you're halfway there to freeing a lot of your time, a lot of your time. So I love that. Again, 180. What is the last picture that you took on your phone, Jay? Great question. Let's find out. I would hold it up to the camera, but it never auto-focuses correctly. <laughs> okay, so the last picture is a video. Does that count, or do you want me to go to the picture? Uh, let's go with the video. Go on. I'm curious now. <laughs> Have you ever watched Survivor? Only once. The TV show. Only once. So I think Survivor is probably the best show on television still. It's incredible, incredible display <laughs> of game theory, human psychology. It changes every season. It's just so, so good. Uh, we only discovered it during quarantine. So my wife and I have actually been watching all of the past dozens <laughs> of seasons of Survivor on TV. And in this show, Jeff, well, one of the beauties of Survivor is so much of the show is templated. Like mm. the way that they they read like previously on Survivor. It's so formatted that it's familiar every time. And even mm. like the end of the episode, you'll hear the host say, Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. That audio clip has been the same since season one. So not only have some of the clips been used all this time, but the way they introduce things is the same. This is a really long answer to your question, Fab, but it's it's necessary context to what the video was on my phone. Before every challenge, a Survivor episode, Jeff introduces challenges in much the same way. It's almost like watching diners, drive-ins and dives in the way that Guy Fieri is very formulaic. Maybe you've seen that as well. So all this to say, yesterday, I had the task of going into our backyard and cleaning up as much dog poop as possible because <laughs> we have not been doing that when the dog goes outside. It's been cold here in Ohio. As a result, every time the dog has been going outside, he steps in his own poop. He drags it into the house. It's a bad time. So the video on my phone, my most recent photo slash video is me recording a video for my wife in the style of Jeff Probst before a new challenge talking about the dog poop. And if you would like, I can play the audio. Yes, please. <laughs> now, okay. I'm, now I am invested. All right, let's, let's get this going. For today's challenge, you will go out in the backyard and you will scoop as many dog turds as you can into this plastic bag. Now, it will have rained recently, so these dog turds will be wet. They will be hard to see amongst the leaves. You'll have about an hour to do this before you have to get on a call and seriously coach a person about their business. The person who scoops as many dog turds as possible in that hour will get dinner tonight obsessed <laughs> <laughs> and the extra context as well like what was going to happen next is great we used to do the same thing because we watched a bunch of fear factor during quarantine and fear factor is very similar as well uh because joe rogan is always like uh gosh now i forget the format you and a partner will get on top of this building it, it's 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 crazy it's it's very familiar it's actually very like reminiscent of mr beast or like actually Pre preceded Mr. Beast in the beginning of his videos, but it's very like yelly in your face. Here's what's going to happen in this rough format. So I didn't expect that audio to go anywhere ever, but <laughs> here it is. Gift to the alt marketing podcast. Thank you very much. I was going to say, and, and, and you're welcome for not being able to share this with the world. And I love that because it kind of, it literally reminds me of how we started like templating, not templating more, but kind of building more of a flow into our show. Obviously it didn't look at necessarily a specific TV show, but there's something to be sad about these things. And then you kind of expect, and even some of the podcasts that I love have some of these elements, even if maybe they're a bit more free flow. So it's a little lesson in there aside from scoop your dog poop, uh, which, is a great, <laughs> which is a great one too, to remember. Um, now this one is for now. So I'm just going to give you the context is right now. Yeah. What is your favorite social media platform right now? Jay, a time of recording. It's Twitter. 
It's still Twitter. I, I like Twitter a lot. I've, I've spent years like curating the corner of Twitter that I find myself hanging out in. Uh, the people who engage with me there are like really great. Um, I think LinkedIn is getting better, hmm. but LinkedIn feels it still feels like people aren't leaning into themselves as humans yet. It's it feels very formal and the way people will post and the responses people make, it doesn't feel like a genuine interaction just yet. So Twitter is where I spend most of my social media time. We had a lot of conversations around this dichotomy, like LinkedIn has come up a bit more for a lot of people. But again, all the guests have said a similar thing. It's like, it's coming more human, it's becoming more relatable, but there's still that kind of missing link. And I think it's just, especially because a lot of people that are active on LinkedIn come from a generation of when we use LinkedIn in 20. 2011 life of jobs and so i think a lot of us are still struggling to kind of find the place with it but i can see that changing with the next couple of quarters of 2023 which could be very really exciting going back to your twitter corner is there anybody one person that we should follow for this from this curated corner that you crafted for yourself one little recommendation this is a powerful recommendation i can make because i'm taking it seriously i'm being thoughtful and intentional about it. Hmm. <laughs> Who do I want to give this shout out to? <laughs> All right, I'm going to give it to Dan. Dan Bennett. His handle is Real Antipreneur on Twitter. Ooh. And Dan is one of the realest people that I know. Dan is also one of the most generous people that I know. He gives a lot to. Uh, his Twitter community, he gives a lot to the lab, my membership community. So I'm going to shout out Dan. Uh, Dan is also really, really good at helping people look and sound great on video. So if you see people, whether it's the two of us on this podcast or other people who have a great home studio, Dan is somebody that can teach you how to do that really well uh, through his content that's free or through working with him. Love it. Thank you very much. I definitely know Dan, so I'm going to check him out as well. We come to the last question, Jay. Indeed we have. And maybe one of the hardest ones because, you know, I like to finish with a bang. You have powers. You always have powers. But now we have a new power. So sorry. <laughs> Doggy power. <laughs> it was like, oh, <laughs> powers, you say? Um, Doggy power. So, Jay, if you could broadcast one message onto everyone's phones right now, what would that message say? look up (laughs) (laughs) stop looking at your phone for a second that's the first thing that came to mind um i don't have uh, a quick like other thought i think we probably look too much into our phones so that's that's the message i would send that is a very good one because potentially somebody might be multitasking their listener i'm looking at you and uh obviously if you're watching on youtube you never know so yeah look up Look up and see what's around you. I love that. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you very much for being here with us, first and foremost, and for all the wisdom you share. Yeah, thanks for having me, Fab. And now, if people want more wisdom, where should they go? We shall finish with that. Well, you're a podcast listener, so I would love for you to check out my show, Creative Elements. I interview really high-level creators about how they actually built a life as a creator. People like uh, James Clear, Tori Dunlap, Cody Sanchez. So just search Creative Elements in your podcast player. It's on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Or uh, you can find me, Jay Klaus, on any social media platform. Thank you so much, Jay. And thank you so much again, dear listener, for joining us into this tumultuous and wonderful journey. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, as always, class dismissed. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.